welcome back to the Times and Places podcast with me, Caitlin Bryant. Each week, I sit down with a different guest to discuss how particular times and places has meant something of significance to them or has impacted their life in some way. This episode is the second part of the conversation I had with the extraordinary woman that is Rian Mannix. I should probably start by mentioning that if you haven't listened to the first part of this chat, then you should go back and listen to episode three before you continue. Previously, Rian opened up about her loss, grief and mental health, as well as her incredible charity to Wish, which was formed as a result of the events that happened in her life. In this episode, we explore all of the inspiring and happy moments that Rian has experienced since Paul and George's death as well as her hopes and ambitions for the future and the people who are most important to her. We join the conversation as Rian tells us about how she met her current husband, Craig, and how she was able to fall in love again. So here it is, episode four of the Times and Places podcast with Rian Manning. I won't tell you the full story on how I met Craig. I'll tell you the the dog down (laughs) question. So we met through the charity, actually. So I got to know him through a mutual friend. Um, He happened to know one of the families as well that we were supporting. So he was coming to quite a few events and supporting the charity in general. And then, I don't know if you believe in coincidences, but then I had been to Pembrokeshire on holiday with my friend. And we drove up to a roundabout and he pulled up alongside me at the lights, beeped his horn, gave me a friendly wave through the window and that was it. He then asked me out for a coffee. And actually, we had coffee for about four months um, as friends. Literally did not think anything was going to happen. And then when he then said, you know, do you want to go out for dinner? I was like, yeah, why not? And we decided we wanted to get married within four weeks. No way. Yeah. Because it was a surprise mm-hmm. wedding, wasn't it? Yeah. So we decided we were going to get married. We booked the venue. We went on holiday to Venice for my 40th. He proposed with a ring in Venice, but we didn't want anyone to know. So I wore it in Venice and then put it in the box and never wore it again. And then we planned the whole wedding and didn't tell anybody. And then it got closer and I thought, I'm going to have to tell my mum and dad because she'd kill me. So we told my parents, his mum and his children. So he's got got other children. And then just before we told my children, because I wanted them to be in smart clothes... But everybody else was invited to what they thought was going to be a secret proposal. And when they turned up, we got married and had a proper full-on little white wedding. Oh my gosh. And how were his children and your children, your mum and dad, when you told them you were getting married? (laughs) Amazing, actually. I think my, the kids were quite, my two were quite shocked. They were 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 quite young young They were eight or nine. Um, And to be, his, his children are grown up. And to be honest, I think as long as his dad, their dad's happy, um, they were they were great about it, and honestly, my mum and dad were really cool about it. I think they just went. We knew it wouldn't, you know. We knew that this was the right thing for you, and you know, it's not been easy. You know, I think talking about my parents is another whole podcast. But to see what me and the children have been through, they just wanted to see us being happy, and they adored Paul, adored him. And the one thing that happens when someone passes away is that they become godlike. Mm. So Paul had never done anything wrong in my mum and dad's eyes, ever. And nor in mine. Let's not talk about his dirty washing <laughs> all over the house. So when they met Craig, they obviously 
wanted to make sure he was the right person. And to be fair to Craig, you know, that's not easy for him. But it's it's amazing. And he's just amazing. Yeah. How do you think it's been easier going into a new relationship because he knew going into it from the beginning about what happened to Paul and George because obviously you met through the charity do you think that made it easier not having to kind of tell him that or he was aware of it so he knew what he was signing himself up for absolutely yeah you know he knew (laughs) although he'd listen to this and he'd go I had no idea (laughs) I had no idea what I was signing up for well yeah it's it's I, you know, went on a couple of dates before I met Craig and you can imagine the conversation, you know, I'm, as far as they're concerned, I'm single. Then I break to them, I've got children and then they ask me, am I divorced? And I go, no, I'm widowed. And they go, oh, and then they want to know detail. Then you tell them what I've told you today and, you know, they, they can't wait to get away quick enough. And that's only because, again, of that fear. They didn't know how to talk to me about it. They didn't know what to say. Um, so when I met Craig, he knew exactly what he was taking on. Although, as I said, I think it's been... He'll never say it's hard, but it has to be. It has to be really hard for him. Um, It doesn't matter how much he loves me and the children. He lives with another man in our relationship every single day, you know. And people would argue that Paul's not a threat. But in some ways, I think he's more of a threat because he's always going to be there. Um, but Craig just deals with it in an incredible way. And as I say to him, you know, I don't compare, um, but he's an incredibly special person to be able to accept me and the children and everything else that comes with us. Yeah, I really want to meet him. <laughs> he's, you know, he, he's, he's amazing. And he is, he's, he's um, I can say this, he'd be listening and he <laughs> But he's, he's older than me. And I think I needed some stability and some sensible person in my life because I'm just not sensible and I with my anxiety like seriously my anxiety can be very bad but on Mm. the other hand I also love fun and all of that type of thing and he sort of just keeps me on the straight and narrow a little bit yeah and he also says to me straight you know you're not working today you're off we're going out and I need that as well yeah so um yeah he's pretty he's pretty special and he's fully involved in tuition not that he had he's called a volunteer but he doesn't volunteer for anything <laughs> he just gets dragged out for he's everything told. he's told <laughs> do you think though when the time does come that you do kind of move away from tuition though it'll be that little bit easier now because you've kind of created not a new life but I guess in a way it is and you can both move away from it together maybe when the kids grow up Oh, definitely. Like, I see a life after Tawish. If you'd have asked me probably 18 months, even that suit, you know, not long ago, maybe a year ago, mm. I never saw a life without it. Um, but I've got, you know, to fight Welsh Government for what I, we did and got that result. When I walked out, my mum and dad were with me as well. They come everywhere with me as well. And I just cried and cried. And I, I, I never cry, ever. And I just cried. And as I cried, I could just feel, and it sounds really weird, just a weight being lifted. And I just thought, I've bloody done it. Mm. And since then, I'm getting a bit emotional. I don't do emotion. And (laughs) I just thought for the first time, and for a joke, I said, I'm not going into work tomorrow. That's it, it's done. And he's like, really? I went, no. That's a bit drastic. (laughs) But for the first time, I felt, right, but then I woke up the next morning, I'm like, right, I've got to hold well, them accountable now, so I've got to keep going. <laughs> I've got to check they do it. But no, there's definitely, you know, I'd love, I'd love to live in the middle of nowhere in a little cottage with a little small holding. Um, 
and I even joke, and I do mean it, I would love to work in Marks and Spencers or Next or somewhere like that. I shouldn't probably use um, names of shops. But, <laughs> <I would, laughs> but I would love to work somewhere where people don't associate me with sadness and actually complain to me when perhaps their washing machine's not working. Because people don't talk to me a lot of the time about normal stuff because they're like, I can't talk to you about that because you've been through so much. And I'm like... Yeah, but I want you to talk to me about because everybody's problems and everybody's lives are relative to their own. So sometimes I think I'd like to work somewhere where just general chit chat. I my conversations, as you've gathered today, are normally quite heavy. <laughs> <laughs> She'd be in the pub. You're going to the pub after this. <laughs> yeah, Bells, I will take you out for that drink later. <laughs> no, I'm joking. Um, what would you say has been your proudest moment since Paul and George passed, both personally and as well kind of professionally with To Wish? I'm guessing what you achieved with the Welsh Government there might be, or has there been anything else? Gosh, they, they, do you know what? There is so many. There's so many because part of my journey has been trying to better myself in a way. I think a lot of that was punishing myself. that I had to achieve this. I had to achieve that. So every year I do challenges and things. Um, you know, running the London Marathon was the most amazing moment of my life. And when I crossed the line, I thought Paul and George would be there for me. I can remember vaguely forgetting that they wouldn't be and then they would be. And it was that was one of the most emotional moments of my life, definitely. Um, yeah, the petition was... I think most days when a parent comes in and thanks the team for helping them I just think everything's been worthwhile but yeah proudest moment was one of the, the I think one of the Welsh government mm. thing was incredible um and also just seeing my kid like when you've been through really shitty times you do appreciate everything so like when Isaac you know my my, my late husband was a very good sportsman very good and and Isaac's exactly the same and he gets to play for all these different teams and every one of those moments I am just so proud um and that's very little in comparison to what a lot of people may think it should be yeah but you do appreciate the smaller things about life and um you know I'd rather go and watch him play cricket for South Wales than go and stand in Welsh government which is a huge change of my mindset really now totally and also I'd love to know what your aspirations are for the future both for yourself and to wish so my my the biggest wish for to wish <laughs> the biggest <laughs> ambition for to wish yeah yeah um is that anybody in Wales who loses a child a young adult suddenly will get that same offer of support that's what's driven me since day one this shouldn't be a postcode lottery it shouldn't depend on where it happens or who supports the family immediately so you know that's my biggest ambition for to wish and and actually because we do fill this gap you you know I can't even tell you the number of people in England that want to work with us yeah I was gonna say because it's so Wales focused do you ha maybe have a desire to be able to get it across the whole nation yeah definitely country? I I think if there's a need then we want to fill it I don't think we're quite ready yet. I want to make sure that if this happened on Anglesey or in St. David's in Pembrokeshire or here, everyone will get exactly the same support. And as a charity, we do. But actually, the families need to make sure they come to us. So we've got to check that. And obviously, with Welsh Government now, it's working with them to make sure their promise is fulfilled. On a personal level, I just want to be happy because, yes, I'm happier than I've been in a long time, but... 
it's such a roller coaster and how I describe it when I see see my um, therapist is I say I feel like I'm on a merry-go-round and when it's gone on a steady sort of speed it's lovely and then it goes too fast and I just want it to be constant um, and get those emotions in check and hopefully things will get better but yeah, I just want as long a life with my family, you know, and, and just to enjoy it. Because it's so interesting to hear, like, hear so candidly probably the things that people want to No, ask. absolutely. Well, I'm writing a book at the moment. You can ask me about that. It's all going to be, basically, what people don't see when they go on a... You go on a bloody charity website and it says, this is how you're going to grieve. Well, actually, it's, bo- yeah. it's true, but it's also a tiny bit. Let's be honest about it. So it's going to be a real warts and all I think people are aware of it I've been trying to write it for about five years and keep getting mind blocks it's hard because you get to a point where you know things were really difficult and then you're trying to put it into words and your emotions and it doesn't do it justice so the book's going to be predominantly probably a good half of the book will be a diary of exactly what happened Um, and it will be a difficult read for many people but I want people to see the impact it has on so many people and what I've done is approached everyone who... So they've got the police officer who knocked on the door. Oh, he's, wow. he's writing for my book. The anaesthetist and the nurse who carried his body through the hospital, the coroner, they're all... I want them all to write a page in it so people read it and realise that it's shit for me, but it's actually shit for so many people and how the ripple effect of grief, really. And then I want it to be not a guide, but I want someone potentially to pick it up and read how hard it is to bring up children when you lose your husband or wife um, and to understand about mental health. So, yeah, I'm, I'm determined to finish it next year. And it won't get published next year because it's a long process, but I want to finish it during the 10th year. So, yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite into that at the moment and enjoying it. And do you feel like it's giving you an opportunity to tell your story exactly how you want to tell it and maybe discuss topics that no one ever feels comfortable enough to ask you? Oh, definitely, you know, and it, there will be some humour in it because I think you have to get an element of dark humour to survive this journey. Um, it may not upset people, but it will certainly... It's just the way I've dealt with it, and if people don't want to read it, they, they don't have to, but um, I am enjoying doing it, and it's something I have wanted to do for so long. It's one of those, as soon as I close the book, after I've finished it, it will be another part of my journey that I can put to bed. I sent a message and I said, is there anything that you don't yeah. want me to talk yeah. about? And you, kiss, you you replied with, ask me anything and I mean it. And it just made, it gave me that bit of relief to be yeah. like, okay. I and you can't sh- offend me either. You've not been, been through it. And even if you have, you don't know how I how I feel. So you, you can't predict anything. So yeah. you can't be offended. But I think that's what, I was doing and even when I would like run the questions through with other people who again have not been through it you try and put yourself in your shoes yeah so it's like but if I was in her sh- if I was in her shoes I would maybe be offended by that so you shouldn't ask that mm. and that was like the constant struggle I was having of am I going to offend you by asking this yeah. question so I know so far we've spoken about some pretty heavy topics but I wanted to highlight some of the amazing things that you've been awarded and that you've done Firstly, your Pride of Britain Award, as well as your MBE and the Spirit of London Award that you've also been given. Did you have any inkling that you were going to be given the Pride of Britain Award? No, not at all. They'd even been to my house and filmed me 
and the children for a documentary they told me about women during lockdown who'd um, contributed to the community so you know I often do little things like that didn't think anything of it and then they asked me to a hotel to do a, a scene having breakfast with the children around the table still didn't think anything of it I wore my trainers <laughs> <laughs> which all I kept saying when it happened was, my mum's going to kill me, I've got trainers on. And um, yeah, Michael Sheen came into the room and just gave me the Pride of Britain, which was, yeah, that's probably one of the highlights of the last 10 years, which I just, I've forgotten about, to be honest. But yeah, it was amazing. And unfortunately, we missed out on the whole gala dinner, although we were invited this year um, because of, of the pandemic. But it was... Um, yeah, I take I take all these awards with a bit of a pinch of salt because it's very bittersweet. Yeah. Um, to get them shows that bereavement and sudden bereavement is being recognised. But for me, I wish I'd never have had to have gone through anything to get these awards as well. So, mm. yeah, mixed emotions. And what is it, the Spirit of London Award? I know that you've got that. Some people probably think that it's torture, not a prize. But is that why you've been given a London Marathon spot every year, forever? Yeah, like, what a prize. <laughs> and I'll never forget, my, my husband was with me. So um, based on the documentary, they believe that um, applications for the London Marathon went up 50% because from women because of the way I was portrayed in the programme, um, which is pretty phenomenal that people engage that much with me. But as a prize... I was given a Spirit of London Award, which was amazing. 30 of us have been in the history of the London Marathon. So I met the first winner of the London Marathon and people who contributed to the development of the event. But as a prize, which I thought might have been a check, was a ticket for life into the London Marathon. And I was full of a room full of runners who were like ecstatic. And I sort of just shrunk into my shell and thought, oh, no. So I've done it since once, and I'm doing it again now coming up, and that'll be it, retirement. Go on. I know that uh, I hear you've got a little bit of a nickname these days. It's Rian the Runner. But... Rian the Runner, <laughs> as I love it. What was your time? Slow. <laughs> I can't believe that was... No, what question? Do not ask me how fast. Um, but it's not about that, is it? The no, marathon? it genuinely it really isn't. isn't. Do you know what? It, and it isn't about that, but it is for some people. But for me, I didn't want to walk. I wanted to run the whole thing. So I ran it in 5.25. That's, I'm sorry, that's really good. Well, that's probably two hours slower than you. Well, yeah, but two hours. <laughs> but I didn't walk. I ran the whole way and um, loved every minute of it. And because I'd been on the TV programme and I had my name on my top, like everyone knew who we were. So obviously there was a few of us and yeah. That's the problem is I'll never do it that far, like like that again because it was just awesome. Yeah, I yeah it was generally one of the best days of my life I would say. In a weird way, isn't yeah, it? yeah, it's the strangest thing because and I, when people ask me about it, this is how I describe the wall: you hit the wall and then you carry the wall with you. Like it didn't stop for me. Or did you not really hit the wall? <laughs> you one of those I lucky people no, I didn't. didn't. I didn't. The second time, my hamstring went. So actually, the last 10 miles, I basically limped. It was the worst thing ever. But the first time, I didn't hit a wall at all. I think I just... Sometimes when you're not a stronger runner, you just I just plodded the whole way. Mm. So I didn't. But it was the most amazing, but one of the, you know, the hardest thing I've ever done. Yeah. And like, I've got to say that the first race I ever did as an adult was the Cardiff half and I ran it for yes. Twitch. 
And I, that was the only race I've ever run as an adult. And then the second race I've ever run as an adult was the London Marathon. And I remember watching Mind Over Marathon and just sobbing the whole way. And I honestly remember thinking, if Miss Burke can do it, I can do it. And then the next year I signed up for the ballot, ballot didn't get it. Oh. And then the year after, and then the year after that, then I was like, right, I'm doing it for a charity. And then that's Yay. when I did it. Amazing. But, yeah. And now we're both running it next year. We're both <laughs> running it. Well, one of us will be running it faster than the other. So you better try and keep up. <laughs> <laughs> the two questions that I like to end on are on the topic of food and music, because I often feel like they provoke a memory and a feeling of nostalgia. So, is there a particular song that transports you back to a specific time or place every time you hear it? Yeah, it's not it's not a very uplifting answer either. Sorry to I tell you. I was kind of expecting it <laughs> not to be. <laughs> I'm sure all the other guests you've had on have got some amazing, exciting memory. And mine's, again, quite... Uh, yeah, so You Raise Me Up um, was sung at our wedding. And um, we then had it played at the funeral as well. So, You Raise Me Up is one of those that... I do t- tend to turn off if it comes on. Yeah, um, I was going to say, can you listen to it? No, and the one other one, I'm cheating now, I've come up with two, is In the Arms of an Angel by Sarah McLaughlin, I think it is. And that was played as we walked into the crematorium. Now, if that comes on, it gets switched straight off. So, yeah, yeah that's it. Are there any songs from that you... That, that you listen to or reminds you of Paul that you can still listen to maybe of like happy times or is there they're not oh yeah definitely he'll be laughing now who let the dogs out <laughs> we used to, yeah yeah we used to go to Barbados we used to go to Barbados a lot so Barbados was his favorite place in the world we used to go there a lot and that song he used to just dance to all the time ridiculously <laughs> so um yeah who let the dogs out what a legacy to me <laughs> he'd be thrilled he loved folk music he really loved folk music oh no way I love folk music I like Christy Moore do you like Nancy Griffiths no, that's like a real niche one. Mm. Yeah, I always go too extreme. He may, he may have, but um, I don't think of him when I think of them. I think of who let the dogs out. I love that so much. Yeah. That's so good. And is there any meal that you eat or love that triggers a memory from a specific time or place from your past? God, no, I just love food. <laughs> so, like I'll eat anything, everything. And no, I'm not. I'm not really a foodie, as in mm. I just love food. So I have. I don't really think of um, special occasions around food. I just, I love a burger. I love a burger, to be honest. (laughs) Real no class here. I do love a good old burger. If I go to a pub or a restaurant, it's got to be a burger with ketchup. Um, No, not really. No. Um, All food. All food. (laughs) All food makes me happy. (laughs) So I just wanted to finish on a quote that I came across that you've shared in the past which I think so beautifully and perfectly summarizes your essence. And it goes, if it rains, look for the rainbow. If it's dark, look for the stars. You'll learn to dance in the rain. And after I came across it, it just made me want to ask you, how do you continue to find the light in life, even though you've been through so much darkness? Um, you have to, you have to. I made a decision days after hearing of Paul's death that I... I either joined Paul or I stayed and lived a life for, for Holly and Isaac and, and for myself, I suppose. And I that's what I decided. And if I'm here, I may as well try and live it. So it's just taking each day as it comes, being kind to yourself, which none of us are, are we, really? Um, and just, 
I don't know. I, I have to live life to the full, like I said. So, you know, I've booked another challenge and then I've got to do something else and do something else. And that's the way I deal. That's probably the way I deal with it. It's just trying to find the positives in life that gives me time to remember Paul and George, really. Yeah. And I know you, you sort of said there, like, I had two options. But throughout the whole process, especially, I guess, straight after Paul passed... Did you ever have those thoughts that you cannot be on, you need, you can't be alive? And did you ever kind of have suicidal thoughts or was it, did you never get to that point? Thankfully, I never got to the point. Um, Never. And I've never, doesn't matter how dark things have been, I've never thought of it, which makes me realise how dark it must have been for him. Um, Have I planned and have I tried to run away um, and leave the children and everybody behind? Oh, loads of times yes you know in the early days I just didn't want to be here so I used to think about where I could go and I'd never come back and I generally meant that but very soon you realize that it doesn't matter where you go it goes with you Um, and once I got over that you realize you've just got to make the most of of what you've got around you so yeah luckily never got to that point yeah and when you look back on now almost the past 10 years would you say you've got to this point because you've almost taken each day as it as it comes or do you kind of need to have that hope for the future to keep you going I have to always have so I'm happy with my family I'm happy with you know my husband um etc but I have to have something to look forward to so next year I've got about 10 things booked in already and I've always been a bit of a planner so I've always had a party to look forward to or something but you know, I've got a three a three peaks challenge, and then I've got oh, I'm jumping out of a plane, and you know, I I do ridiculous Gina and I crazy want to do things. That with you, by the way, because we were supposed to. to be last year, wasn't yes. it? Yes. Yeah. When is it going to be this next year? April, I think. Okay. But I'm doing supposed to be doing Kilimanjaro. God. That's for Paul and George's. So Georgie's birthday is Valentine's Day, so we would have been on the mountain for that. But yeah, you you need. I have to have things to look forward to, because otherwise it's like I have to be busy all the time because I just get you just get lost in your own thoughts a little bit then and that's the way I dealt with it really yeah right Rian we are done with all the questions thank you so so much I honestly just can't thank you enough and you are just one incredible person and I really can't wait to see what the future holds for you as well that's what I think is the most exciting thank you well I don't know I don't know we'll see even if it's a small holding down west yeah <laughs> a couple of sheep and a pig <laughs> oh well thank you for having me and it's been really easy chatting to you so thank, um, you. thank you okay if you've been touched by Rian's story and would like to make a donation to support to wish in its amazing work I have linked all the information in the bio of this episode which also includes links to any information you may need if you or your family need their help.